0: Welcome to another installment of the Legal Marketing Studio, the bi-weekly podcast examining best-in-class examples of branding, strategy, content, and technology in legal marketing. Each episode is devoted to a successful initiative, an innovative campaign, a promising technology, or an effective proven strategy for developing new business at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm speaking with Nina Kaufman, a business lawyer, advisor, and strategist. Nina is a small business champion, providing holistic legal and strategic counsel that looks at the entire company, not just the deal du jour, so that small companies can grow and scale, create options over the long term, and add value to their balance sheets. Her websites, Ask the Business Lawyer and Business Exponential, present business law resources and business resources, respectively. She also hosts the Business Breakthrough Podcast. Forbes Magazine calls her one of the 25 most influential women tweeting about entrepreneurship, the U.S. Small Business Administration named her their Regional Women in Business Champion of the Year. Kaufman reaches over 2 million readers in her monthly column on entrepreneur.com. She has been featured in The Wall Street Journal, U.S. News & World Report, Crane's New York Business, HuffingtonPost.com, The New York Law Journal, and The American Bar Association Journal. TV appearances include MSNBC's Your Business, Fox's Good Day New York, and Better.TV. Nina, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio.
1: Thanks so much for having me here, Michael.
0: All right. So I want to start with the language that you use to describe your role as an attorney. Mm -hmm. You know, at the heart of how an attorney or a business owner positions him or herself uh, and the brand that they create at the core of that is the language they use to describe who they are and what they are. So you describe yourself not just as a lawyer, but you immediately follow that with business advisor and strategist. And even more interesting to me uh, is that you go beyond that and you describe yourself as a small business champion. I love that word champion. Uh, Could you talk a bit about why you use the words that you do when describing your role?
1: Absolutely. My, My target market is small businesses. And one of the things I think lawyers sometimes lose sight of, particularly in the small business market, is that you're dealing with people whose first language is not legalese. These are people coming to you at a time of crisis. They're coming to you at a time where they are afraid. And to create that rapport, I think it's really vital to use the language that they use, not the language that gives me status within my community and peers of attorneys. So those are among the reasons that I chose what I do, because it also lets people know I'm not just about uh, uh, drafting documents. I also want to be there to, to help them navigate certain issues, to, to be there as a sounding board so that they can come to me and feel comfortable coming to me preventively and, and that I'm there to support their growth. And that's where Champion comes in as well.
0: So I mean, it seems like that your vision of what an attorney is, is fairly extensive, you know, more yes. than just drafting documents. Oh, yes. So what are some of the, the advantages in your practice, but also for your clients in thinking extensively about what your role is as an attorney?
1: Well, I think it goes to a deeper sense of what do I want my relationship to be with my clients. And it comes from one of the reasons I went into law, that I was really influenced by Atticus Finch into To Kill a Mockingbird. And hey, Gregory Peck's kind of cute too. Um, And that sense of being a wise, trusted counselor in the community. I wanted to be that kind of person, not just lawyer, but a person as well. And realizing that in dealing with small businesses, you really are dealing with people. You're not just dealing with faceless corporations. So I think that speaks to the, again, the kind of relationship that I wanted to have and to create for these businesses who are very, very vulnerable. They, of all kinds of businesses, need a team of champions, they need an advisory team around them, and they are often the least likely to seek that out. So I'm trying to create that encouraging environment where they take those important next steps for their own business strength, uh, and for their support as well.
0: So as you're talking about a team, um, you know, is there any difference in how you might position yourself if you were part of, say, a large firm versus a solo? Does it matter the scale of the firm in positioning yourself as that member of the community?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I think some of the language that one might use would would differ depending on whether or not you're you're working in a large firm or whether you're working in a small firm. And ultimately, it comes back to who are your clients? If you're working for, let's say, General Electric, there is going to be certain language that the higher ups in their organization or in their in-house legal department need to hear from you if you're trying to position yourself as, let's say, outside counsel. Uh, And there are also different legal issues. That you're going to be working on. For me, my my practice is really focused on transactional work, not litigation. So it is much more preventive, and those uh, personal prevention, business prevention analogies hit closer to home than they might with uh, with clients who are larger and more corporate.
0: There's a lot of attorneys out there, and most of them can probably draft, you know, a contract. Sure. Um, so is strategically defining your role and thinking about your role as an attorney more ex- expansively, can that be sort of a unique selling proposition that helps you stand out above sort of someone who just sees themselves to, as, a, as someone who's there to push papers?
1: Yes. And one of the things that I've seen with business, business I'll just speak to business attorneys, but we really could be all attorneys over time, is that we go into law school thinking of ourselves as how are we going to learn about the law so that we can be really brilliant lawyers law schools are not teaching us how to be brilliant business people whose product and service happens to be legal services and that's one of the things that that i've had to learn trial by fire because i've had my own firm for almost 20 years um and i think that is a a qualitative difference i think that it's a difference that helps my clients because they understand that i know business and that is a unique selling proposition for me, which is not to say that other attorneys in smaller firms couldn't draft even more brilliant contracts than I do, and maybe they do. But if they're not also thinking about themselves as business people, one of two things is going to happen. Either they become disposable or dispensable within the larger firm organization that they're in, or if they have trouble attracting clients, you know, they need they need to be able to do sales and I think that's an important piece uh, and, and I feel for a lot of attorneys it's an important piece of our growth as business people that is sorely sorely missing in our training
0: so th- so that's a great segue you know to the next set of questions I have and, and that's about the mindset mm-hmm. um, of being not just an attorney but also a small business owner right. or a business owner a larger business owner depending upon the size of the firm mm-hmm. um, so do you have any thoughts about some of the differences in mindset between being just that attorney who wants to write the contract and that attorney who realizes that they're running a business and has to develop new business, has to sell, and has to, you know, run a successful practice beyond just the papers?
1: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. And it, it's, um, I mean, I'll share my brilliance, but I have to say I i first learned it through Michael Gerber and his book The E-Myth and he also had a, an E-Myth for attorneys. And the the important distinction is between seeing yourself as having a job and seeing yourself as running a business. When as, as an attorney if you truly are just focused on let me make as much money as possible by doing as much as I can, billing as many hours as I can, and often that's within the the context of a firm, the, like, the greater likelihood is that you're f- more focused on doing a job and doing it well. And that's how attorneys are trained, quite frankly. That's where where law schools get their money because they, they get donations from students who go to big firms and earn big salaries. And the idea there and that whole business model of the big firm is have as many people as you can doing as much work as possible and pay them, frankly, as little as possible so you can make as much profit on them as possible. That's the model. And that's fine. But when you are a business owner, there's a whole host of other things to think about. It's not just, am I doing the work and what am I earning? It's, what are my other expenses? What am I doing in terms of keeping a pipeline filled? What are my, in fact, my longer term goals? How long do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to retire at a certain age? Or might I want to transition into something else? Is there uh, another area of law or just another passion that speaks to me that I, I don't want to wait until I'm 72 and only then have the time to do it. But it, it is thinking about the the bigger vision, the longer term, where, what's the trajectory of your overall career within the context of this business. And that's a very, very important distinction between the two, particularly for attorneys who, who want to build a, a firm and bring in other people. Then you have all the employee and the HR issues that go along with that.
0: Are there any particular parts of, say, a business owner's mindset that that attorney should think about? I know you, in that answer, mentioned a couple of these things, but anything in particular that attorneys should really be looking at as they're building their firms and planning for the long term?
1: Absolutely. I would say, as Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. And that's understanding where, where do you want to see yourself in the next five years, ten years? What do you want to be earning? What kind of lifestyle do you want to be leading? Um, are, are you a, a litigator who wants to be in court all the time? Or are you someone who would rather just have other people do the work and you could be more of a, a spokesperson or a speaker on, on the circuit? Um, some of it depends on where are your clients going to come from uh, in terms of wh- where do you want to be spending your time and what's the highest value of your time? Is it all of these other functions that are involved in admin and marketing and HR in connection with a firm, or is it being, uh, as I sometimes call myself, the chief evangelism officer? So, it's, again, it's thinking about where, where, where do you want to be and having that longer-term goal.
0: Um, and then bringing this back, that same question to you know the core topic of this podcast, mm-hmm. um, what aspects of the business side – The business mindset, you know, can we apply to sales and to new business development that attorneys either haven't been doing or are uncomfortable doing or don't feel like they have to do? Is there anything that that they can learn from the business world in terms of selling?
1: Oh gosh. Um yes, and there are <laughs> there are volumes. Um and it's where I would encourage attorneys I know we we put in a lot of hours and we've got the CLE courses, but absolutely scour the the bookshelves whether online or offline for just business books on leadership and how to manage a business marketing speaking to your clients all of those things are, are really so very valuable um, and I think it's really understanding how all those pieces fit together that actually providing the legal service is just one tiny little piece of of what goes on when you if you were to map out all of the different roles that a law business needs in order to function and function in a healthy way uh, I remember doing this years and years ago with an old business partner I think we've uh, when we tallied it up, maybe there were about 35 roles and about five of them maybe had to do with actually providing legal services. So that's a really important mind shift distinction.
0: Um, so I want to transition here to some of the marketing that you do. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important things I think in your marketing, as I looked through your website and looked through your bio and kind of looked where you were popping up, and that was the you know thought leadership um, in a very public kind of persona that you have mm-hmm. um, as a speaker and as a presenter, and your website is very—it's not traditional. Yeah, so it's not, it's not like you know, <laughs> That's it's, a nice euphemism, <laughs> uh, but it's very business-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about the website a little bit more later. But you have this very sort of authentic voice on your website, and I know auth- authenticity can be like a, a tricky topic. But I'm just thinking: Are there any ways that you've consciously shaped? your public persona as an attorney in building that sort of thought leadership aspect of your marketing?
1: Absolutely. I would say that the first thing I recognized when I started my, my firm, which is years ago, was that I, I needed to find a way to attract clients. And one of the ways that I was going to do that was through public speaking and thought leadership. You know, how do you get your name out there? Well, there are only just so many people I can meet one-on-one throughout the day. So you have to find ways to leverage your time. And you do that by leveraging it by speaking to groups. And you do it by, uh, again, writing articles that can be seen by a wide number of people, and creating content. Uh, And one of the things that really helped catapult me was I had started blogging, I think in 2005. And it was through that that I was able to get my gig with Entrepreneur magazine for a number of years. Uh, and that was really actually maybe even before that, but anyway, be that as it may, that that's one of the things that not only helped keep me current. Um, but by, by blogging and writing articles, I had to think about being a translator for my audience, which also goes back into who am I, who do I want to serve? And what is my voice? So really demystifying these legal issues. It's not that they are simple, but again, people come to it with so much emotion. Uh, and as my colleague, Rochelle, listener from Dynamic Business Growth, has, she said, when emotions are high, intelligence is low. <laughs> so we've all made boneheaded mistakes, and it's embarrassing, or there are situations that are complicated. Uh, so to present myself as the attorney who can give you the, the straight talk, talk you through it, that's all, That also needed to come through in the way I express myself in writing, the way I express myself in speaking, which is also why I dabbled in stand-up comedy for a bit, and, uh, and coming all together in a package of how do I communicate this in a way that will really land with the audience it needs to hear.
0: That brings us kind of back to language again. Okay. The topics that you're speaking to are almost always not in the language of legalese but they're always sort of couched in the concerns and the phrasing of business challenges or opportunities. You know, going past your role as an attorney, you know, what are the branding or positioning benefits uh, in describing yourself in the language of business?
1: I would say, first of all, it's a a language that my audience understands. So I I am speaking directly to them. Um, One of the things that I learned very, very early on is that business owners don't give a, a rat's who you are and what school you went to, they want to know, can you solve my problem? And how do they know whether you can solve the problem? Well, you've got thought leadership around it. You've spoken to it. Someone's recommended you. This is what you do all the time. How are you communicating all of those things? So it's recognizing, what was the, there was a great phrase that when, when selling, you know, clients don't want a quarter inch drill. They want to make a quarter inch hole. Understanding what is that underlying problem that they have? And how how do you solve it? And it's that problem solution communication through all of the marketing, through the positioning. Even as I'm talking to clients who have already hired me, if you look at all oh, marketing, that's really what it is. I mean, look look for you know Sham Wow on television. What's the problem? Well, you're you're using up huge rolls of paper towels, and it's a terrible environmental disaster. Well, with the Sham Wow. Here's the solution to that. So, so much is problem solution and that's just classic marketing 101.
0: So you are very visible. You've been, you know, you you get get out in front of a lot of uh, channels. Do you bring in experts to help you either with the positioning or with the PR outreach? You know, do you have a team around you that's helping you do this?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) There is no way I could do this all on my own. Uh, There is a lot in the realm of social media, and uh, even creating the the background materials. So when I have a speaking engagement, as I have one, for example, later this month with uh, the Brooklyn SBDC, there are going to be a number of materials that I'm going to want in, to create in the way of handouts. I don't have time to put all that together. And that's not the highest use of my time. The highest use of my time is taking my genius and showing up that day. That's the best use of my time. So absolutely, I am a, a firm believer. And it's also, again, the mindset of the business owner. I really try as much as I can to focus on what's the highest value of my time, and if it, uh, you know, if if I'm billing out at you know four hundred dollars an hour, does it make sense for me to spend an hour creating my own flyer, or should I hire someone at forty dollars an hour to do it? I think the math is pretty clear.
0: So I want to go off on a, a quick tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned back in two thousand five you were blogging, mm-hmm. and I now I know now you're podcasting. Yes. And I, I've gotten this sense lately that I feel like, at least in my industry, blogging has become less effective. And so moving to something like podcasting seems like a, a good move. Was this something that, that you had noticed um, in, in legal? Was this something that you just sort of intuited or did because you felt like it and that seemed right? Um, or did someone, someone that you're working with say, hey, let's transition to doing this. Let's try something new.
1: It's a great question. I think it was a combination of things. The first is that I was getting tired. I mean, after blogging for I don't know how many years, there's only just so many ways you can talk about the differences between limited liability companies and S corporations. Just, you know, just so many ways to skin that cat. Um, And I think what I was finding certainly um, legal blogs. Often tend not to get the same level of engagement as, as other business blogs. so it wasn't for me as great a measure of how how well I was reaching people. so I was a little I, I was tired of of not seeing results from that that I would have wanted. Um, the other part of it is as I started to to think about really what's next in my business and how I'm positioning my business, both the uh, the legal work as well as the the business consulting. I realized that I wanted to have a forum where I could bring in, create more of a community, start more of a movement, and uh, just have an easier way to integrate all of the, the wonderful other service providers that I know who can help the small business area. And that's where podcasting was so attractive. It was a ready format for having a conversation, which quite frankly, is so much easier than sitting down and write, you know, if I had to sit down and write the answers to all these questions, ugh, because I in over every word. <laughs> so that's not good. Um, but also, the idea of not being the only expert in the room was really great. So to have a community of other people whose whose brains I could rely on and create a bigger brain trust for myself and for my community was really important.
0: Uh, so part of that, you know, we, we had talked we, when we were talking, you know, about the podcast and you coming on, one of the things we talked about and brainstormed about was, you know, relationship building, right? Um, and sort of bringing people in your audience, uh, either into the community of uh, advisors and support people that you have for your clients, or bringing them into sort of the sales funnel. Mm-hmm. How do you change those tangential relationships into actual relationships, and then into real world relationships? You know, how do you move? people through that funnel, ultimately bringing them, you know, converting them into a, a client?
1: That's a, a great question. And I, I think part of it is understanding why do you have the funnel and that all roads don't necessarily need to lead to a paying client. So part of the the funnel is understanding that I I have a podcast, being able to, to get people on the list, um, Inviting people to be on the show is, is another way of networking, just as you are, and, and creating a, a larger community of people who know what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then really what it comes down to in many situations, like all business, it's creating value. Have you established a relationship of trust? Have you proved your competence? Have you proved that in some way you, you understand what a client's need is going to be? And that occurs whether you're doing it through an online funnel or whether you're coming through uh, someone is being introduced to you and you're coming through a referral that way. Uh,
0: I mean, is there any difference between, say, your prospecting and your positioning? Uh, meaning when you do a podcast, are you more interested in how that positions you? Or are you more interested in reaching someone and bringing them in as a prospect?
1: I use a podcast for, for two reasons. The first is that, as I mentioned, my my business growth objectives Have paths that don't just include law. So there can be opportunities for clients through the podcast throughout the country that might not be a fit for me as a lawyer based in New York because of jurisdictional reasons. Um, That said, it's great positioning for clients who could be a really great legal fit in New York because they see I am discussing those issues on a regular basis and I am creating this amazing network of other service providers and thought leaders in the issue of small business and entrepreneurship.
0: I mean, are there other things that you're doing in your marketing where, where because, you know, positioning does seem so important in mm-hmm. almost everything you do. Um, what do you use, that's, anything that's specifically for prospecting, specifically trying to bring people into the sales funnel and onboard them either as clients or, as we're going to talk about in a minute, you know, some of the, the products that you have put together? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I would say that uh, for for the marketing For all the marketing, the most direct way that I have received clients is through personal referrals, whether it's through other clients, whether it's, again, other people in that network. So then the question becomes, all right, obviously through clients, I got to do good work. (laughs) And that's part of why they refer. Uh, When it comes to the other service providers and the people that I network with, well, that's where those other steps in positioning and establishing trust in being someone who, who also refers and is active in the community is so useful. So so that's where the, those other pieces can come into play as well. Because uh, you know there, there are stages of people getting to know you. They, they got to know you first. And, and that's part of where the visibility is. They need to like you, because otherwise, they're certainly not going to refer. But then they also need to trust you. And that takes time.
0: Do you have any You know, strategies or processes that you have in place, or is it sort of just that networking, being friendly, positioning yourself in that way, and kind of letting things happen? Or do you have a more specific strategy or process for moving people through the funnel?
1: Uh, When it comes to the to clients, for example, um, one of the things that I've found very helpful is really focusing on most recently who's in my network. I guess after so many years of being around and about and visible and all that and collecting all the business cards. The question is, who's actually doing the referring? And once I saw who was really doing the referring, I can focus more on those people and deepen those relationships instead of spending a lot of time going to all kinds of events where you might meet someone very superficially. But then, you know, I mean, think about the number of actual friends you have that you really keep up with? How many can you truly, truly keep up with and have a deep relationship with where you are absolutely their their go-to buddy for something or other? Um, Not as many as we'd like. I think the statistics say that maybe 150 is the absolute max that that we can do it. So what do you do with the other 10,000 people in your database? Well, you have to find another way, perhaps less hands-on, to keep yourself top of mind. And that's part of where the other marketing efforts come in.
0: So one thing that struck me about about your Ask the Business Lawyer website, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It doesn't seem like a very traditional kind of attorney's site. Right. It um, It feels like a tool to me rather than sort of a showpiece. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about some of the goals you had as you were building the site. What, what, were the, what were the business goals that it was meant to support?
1: Mm-hmm. It actually is sort of a mishmash of several different sites. And that's also where it's important to keep on top of trends in marketing. Uh, at the time, or, or just before I started the Ask the Business Lawyer site, what uh, had been the trend is that if you had a collection of articles, have that one place. If you have products, have it another. If you have your, your law firm, have that in a third place. Uh, and the idea is that you you spread the word and your name is in more places and it pops up more in the search engine rankings. Um, but ultimately, when uh, I think it was a combination of working with entrepreneur and seeing that that's actually where the traffic was going, it really made more sense instead of to be in 20 different places bring everything in-house to one. So that's really where the idea for Ask the Business Lawyer became much more of a user-friendly resource. Yeah, okay, I mean, it, it can be a, a brochure, and it is to some extent, but I also wanted it to be a usable, searchable library of articles on content affecting small businesses.
0: Now, also on the website, um, one thing I noticed on site is there's a lot of asks. hmm And so at the bottom of every page or as you go through sections, it's always there's options for subscriptions or there's options for purchases. Mm -hmm. And some of those purchases are for products. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about some of the products that you've built, the guides, um, and how those kind of fit into the marketing or how they fit into the business itself. Sure.
1: Uh, About mm, 10 or 12 years ago, I woke up to the fact that if I'm constantly doing things on a time for dollars equation – then my income capacity is always going to be limited by the number of hours that I'm actually doing billable work. And there were things that I wanted in my life <laughs> that I, I wanted to be able to do or have or experience or just have the breathing room that, you know, even if it's 10 billable hours a day or 60 billable hours a week, <laughs> um, it, it was just not going to happen. So the question becomes, how do I best leverage my time? And for me, an area that I uh, enjoyed focusing on and found fascinating to, to learn about was the idea of doing it by creating educational and informational products. How do I download my expertise to some extent and provide it in the guise of legal education? That these are things, for example, um, one of the products is called the Entrepreneur's Prenup. Now, how do you choose a business partner who won't beep you? It's a huge issue for many business owners because they are so excited to be partnering and they're so happy not to be alone, but they make so many mistakes. And the statistics are that uh, up to 70% of all business partnerships are going to end and a lot of those end very badly. So how do you make sure that you don't? Well, Here's a guide for it. Here's a way to take you through those conversations, some of which can be very difficult, some of which I didn't realize the import of until, quite frankly, my own business partnership was dissolving. So it's it was really it came from a place of wanting to be of service, uh, wanting to develop other income streams again, thinking like a business owner, and wanting to find ways to communicate the message and the information that was really necessary.
0: Uh, could you talk a bit more about, because this is the next question, you've led right into it, Yay. Um, multiple income streams and building mm-hmm. up, how does that free you up as an attorney to either work with the clients you want to work with or to build the practice that you want to build?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If the only way you generate income is by saying, okay, I've I've worked eight billable hours today and- I don't 400, I'm mean, just going to do round math, $400 an hour, I've earned $3,200, but I've got $5,000 worth of expenses. Well, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of it comes down to, again, understanding what are your expenses, what's going to give you free time, what's going to give you a, a lifestyle that you want. So for me, it's really important knowing the the numbers of small business owners that there are in this country, um, the very vulnerable state that they're in, in terms of getting the guidance that they need, I want to be able to get that information in the hands of millions of people. But I can't do it if I am always worried about being tied to the desk. So think about it. If you had a regular income stream of $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 a month that you didn't have to devote your time to servicing, wouldn't that free you up to do other things? Of course it would. So that's where, as a business owner... Uh, not that I can say that those products have reached that level. <laughs> um, but again, that's where as a business owner, wanting to to also think about, well, what if I got sick? What if I have family issues and need or want to step away to you know, care for my dad who's ill? Um, all of those things go back to what kind of life do I want? It's not just about, yeah, I'm a lawyer and I'm really smart and I can do this stuff. It's how does the work that I do and the business that I have serve the life that I want to lead? And that's the bigger picture.
0: So you give a lot of information away on the website, Mm -hmm. and even the information contained in some of the guides, some of the products, um, is sort of a condensation of all your expertise and significantly cheaper than getting you to explain it over the course of a couple of hours. Oh, yeah. To what extent do those do-it-yourselfers who are taking that information come back to you and become clients? You know, as you give that information out there, is that coming back to you in in clients, you know, signing retainers?
1: Um, It's not a direct one-on-one because the mentality is really very different there are going you know the the majority of the the do it yourselfers are people who want to do it yourself and they will take the information and they're going to do whatever they're going to do with it and quite frankly sometimes they come back because they did it really badly not that the information was bad but knowledge does not equal implementation so the implementation i mean and that's also where the value add of the attorney training comes in that you know either what should be in a document that's not there what is in there that can harm you it's that that judgment and perception that's the extra value not just the information Um, but to the extent that hey if it helped a business owner somewhere that you know avoid a a particular problem even if it's more of a business related one um, I consider that good karma but there are in fact people who've come back to me who've said okay I read through this and wow there's a lot more than I thought was involved can you help me um, so it, I think it's recognizing. Yeah, I'm not. Not everyone's going to convert to a client, but they don't need to.
0: For those that do convert, mm. um, you know, we talked about some of these things being less expensive than you know your hourly rates. Mm-hmm. Something else to notice on your website is that you have multiple kind of rate structures. And I know this is a big thing in in legal lately is talking about alternate fee structures. Right. So you have your traditional bill by the hour, straightforward, fairly easy to understand. Um, you've got flat fee things, certain things are done as flat fees. And then you've got, um, it's a, it's a membership, the legal advisor member. Right. Right. Uh, could you talk about some of those alternate fees and how those, or those fee structures and how they sort of fit into your overarching brand, your, and everything else?
1: Sure. Sure. Sort of
0: vague question. But no,
1: no, no. It's uh, it's actually a very specific question because it, it, it's very similar to why I have multiple streams of income. Uh, It's understanding that business owners are going to be at different levels of need, different levels of receptivity, different levels of budget. And if my mission, as it is, is is to help these small service businesses really build and grow and get that solid foundation so ultimately they can scale and sell, then I'm the one who needs to be creative in finding ways, bit by bit, to get these things into their hands. So, So there may be a client who you know, is, is a little nervous or maybe just starting out, but they, they want to do the right thing. And by helping them on an hourly or single project basis, that's a way that bit by bit, we can start to to pour the concrete of the the foundation of their house. For those that are already, you know, up and running, they're already profitable and they're like, yeah, I, I, I want to clean up the mess so I can move forward and really start thinking about what do I need to have in place for the next 10 years when, you know, I might want to exit or at least I want it to be in a position that I have that option, then those are clients that need a different level of attention and different level of service.
0: So I want to wrap up now with a little bit of prognosticating, pretty straightforward. Uh, What does the future hold for law firms in a world just totally riven by this digital revolution over the past five or 10 years?
1: I find it really fascinating because there's so much hue and cry. <gasps> the billable hour and what's technolo- technology is destroying law. And it's not. In a way, we're coming back full circle. If you think 100 years ago, we didn't have these big mega firms. Most attorneys were solo and practicing in really small collaborations. So what technology has done is is allowed us to come back to that. Now, yeah, there's, there's always going to be a place for the bigger firms and the more complex areas. Uh, but what I'm seeing more and more is that attorneys are working more collaboratively. They're able to uh, share clients much more effectively. And because also laws become much more complicated and and detail-oriented, you can't do be the be-all and the you know, general practitioner who was the country lawyer in town who did the wills and the this and the that. It's really hard to do that nowadays because the tax laws are more complex and the and the, the law laws are more complex and the stakes are higher because people are faster to sue. Um, for all of those reasons, you want to know that somebody has expertise in your area, but you want to be able to draw on other people as well who have Expertise if there's a collaborative way. So I think technology is, and you see with a lot of legal platforms like my case, which I use, um, Clio and and others, that allow attorneys to collaborate on client matters in a much more uh, efficient way.
0: Do you see any opportunities in in the digital space for small firms, solo attorneys, uh, not just to compete with larger firms, uh, but to really build strong brands, to really make themselves very public? And to, you know, kind of re- rethink how they operate as businesses in terms of in the same way that you've you know, created products and these multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as, as increasing?
1: Oh, yeah. I think that's a huge opportunity uh, because I think in order for attorneys to survive earning their money providing legal services, they have to do that they can't be the the faceless drone in, in the back office anymore so yeah there will always be a place for for the big firms and I don't know that that smaller firms will necessarily be able to compete in quite the same way um, but I think that's where smaller firms have a greater advantage in being able to brand themselves and stand out in the marketplace in a way that the big firms which are like big corporations it's it's trying to steer a cruise ship Um it's much more difficult to shift that and shift that perception or uh, or to say, you know, I'm really going to focus in on a particular niche area. Um, and smaller firms have that nimbleness and they have that ability. And I think it's an amazing opportunity for them going forward.
0: Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining me on this episode thank of The Legal Marketing me. Studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business. The theme music was composed by Ryan Knock of Knock It Out Music. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on both iTunes and SoundCloud. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com, just legalmarketing.studio. If you know someone who should appear on the Legal Marketing Studio, please reach out to producer at legalmarketing.studio or via the contact page on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.